You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And some time back, I began one of our many conversations here about American medicine by saying that it has been my own very good fortune over the years to have enjoyed absolutely splendid medical care at the hands of truly fine, thoughtful, and expert physicians, men and women, who have combined great technical skills with a warm and comforting manner. Of course, that was by way of introducing one of those wonderful people, as I introduce him again today. Dr. Richard P. Cohn, clinical professor of medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College, an attending physician at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, is really a physician's physician, and I'm glad he's mine too. I'm also glad that he takes the time to talk with me about contemporary American medical issues. As the other day, after he had cared very well for my gout, and we discussed the recent Gardner-Harris New York Times story titled, Family Physician Can't Give Away Solo Practice, and Paul Krugman's Times piece titled, Patients Are Not Consumers, which in turn reminded me very much of Dr. Cohn's own frequent insistence that he and his medical colleagues be considered professionals, not providers. Indeed, there's no better way to begin today's conversation than to ask my guest to elaborate on that dichotomy, professionals, not providers. Fair enough? We've, we've, we've brought this up before, and I still feel strongly about the, the concept, and it's actually grown as you, you and I started the dialogue. I think, uh, uh, Dick, the, the difference is that physicians were always professionals, and they were guided by a set of principles, the right way to do things, an option for creativity, an option for individual thought, and not particularly driven by the notion of protocols or doing things that would generate the kind of paperwork that allowed for reimbursement. Uh, they've now become many people, unfortunately, I say, uh, they've become providers, uh, driven by protocols, uh, driven by doing things that require documentation or following algorithms which allow for appropriate reimbursement uh, and not necessarily leaving room for creativity or even individuality in relationships. I mean, that's sad. You say it's sad. You think it's inevitable? Yeah. I think there'll probably be a small niche for uh, those who want to remain professionals, uh, uh, but the, the pendulum is, is swinging. Uh, we are considered the providers. Uh, and what what physicians are able to do and expected to do are not going to be particularly open to people's creative thought or the way they want to do business. But you find, and I've asked you this before, that you still think some of the best of the best are going into medicine. Some of the yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't think that that that's necessarily a problem. I think it's not clear to me surely that the best of the best are willing to do primary care. Uh, medicine is still a wonderful field with phenomenal opportunities. I'll argue uh, that probably there's no better field. Uh, if, you, if you start in medical school, the opportunities to do lots of different things are unsurpassed, from my point of view, in any profession. But uh, it's not the same as it was 
the opportunities aren't there, the opportunities for individuality uh, may not be there for people coming out today, uh, whether in terms of what they're allowed to do, how they do it, or quite candidly, whether they're going to be able to make a living. What about that last point? You mentioned it last, but it really sometimes comes first, doesn't it? I think that uh, we find, uh, my, these are my views now, uh, that medical students are keenly aware that that coming out of medical school with debts well in excess of 150000 or even $200,000, and they need to structure their careers in ways, candidly, that they can uh, put a roof over their head and make a living. They have a big, big basic rent coming out in terms of paying back those loans. And in this country, we've not really done very much, uh, my view, to, uh, to alleviate that. Like what? How could we? Well, one could make an argument that if you're going to insist that people do primary care or you're going to set a structure uh, where third parties are going to determine what fees are going to be, then maybe medical schools should be free in this country uh, and, or at least ag aggressively have an aggressive scholarship. Medical school, like a lot of private tuition in this country, really any graduate education, largely if your parents can afford, then you get to be able to go, come out of those programs without a big nut to crack, as opposed to kids who come from less privileged families who have these big rents to pay when they get out before they get into practice. Well, I don't have to worry about this. I'm an old man. You're a young man. You're my doctor. You'll be here when I go. What about the future? Well, I'm not sure. I think uh, the, the country is... Anytime we try to change anything here as relates to medicine, a lot of the constituencies uh, get very upset. So things are not, surely to fix that problem is not something that, that I don't think anyone is aggressively addressing, uh, in my reading, aggressive, aggressively addressing now. I mean, at Cornell Medical College, you know, we have a very strong program of, of scholarship, uh, which I'm involved with, uh, particularly, I'm particularly interested in scholarship for for students who are interested in doing primary care so that they have that option of going to work someplace where it may not be that lucrative without feeling that they can't do that because they've got a lot, a big loan they've got to pay back. Primary care, how do you define that? In primary care, classically in this country, are the physicians who are the entryway to the medical system. They have over the years been internists uh, general practitioners when you were a kid, but family practitioners today, uh, gynecologists and pediatricians, as opposed to the specialists uh, who are not providing general care. And what are the percentages now? How do the medical school graduates uh, break up in terms of what they choose? You know, I don't know that data that well, uh, but the, the medical students are are, uh, there was a real pushback from primary care for a while, but as the opportunities in specialty care have gotten tighter uh, and the places for training have gotten tighter, I think more students are interested. But there's a larger cultural shift, which, which, you're, which you, you may not know you're alluding to, is that primary care offers for many people today the opportunity to not necessarily work the way I work, but to work part-time. Or to work for what a do you third mean by party. part time? Well, part time for me. Well, part time for me for me would mean forty hours a week. But I think part time for people would mean working two or three days a week uh, and uh, and having a life. 
Remember, half our graduates today are women, and, uh, and many of them you know, are not walking away from the notion that, that during their childbearing age, it's not that easy for two couples to work full time. Uh, and medicine offers the opportunity today for people to work part time, they work in a clinic, uh, work in the hospital, uh, work in a group where they're you know, providing care as opposed to the kind of practice I do. Do I understand when you say the kind of practice you do, do I understand you're saying that's not a very good bargain that they're given that opportunity? Well, I don't know that that's fair. I don't, I, I don't think that the, emotion, the emotional rewards of doing that approach what I've been blessed with. Uh, but they, these, the, this, that, this generation uh, doesn't, they, they're not necessarily driven in, in, by those kind of role models or even those interests. That's interesting, driven by those kinds of role models. In other words, you're saying you had very specific role models. Uh, they were doing what you're doing now. Right. And, but the kids look at, the residents look at me or the medical students and say, I don't really want to do what he does. You know, I'd like a life. Uh, I'd like my weekends. I'd like my nights. Uh, I'd like to be able to go on vacation and not worry about what's happening. Uh, it's they have it's it's a different world. It's a different world, and I don't know that even that that's unique to medicine. Tell me about that. That that's not perhaps unique to medicine. Well, I I get I'm blessed. I get to see a lot of people or a lot of very interesting people every day. And I was recently with a, a young man who was a on the track to become a partner in a law firm, in one of the New York major corporate law firms. I, and I know a lot of those corporate lawyers because they also sit at, you know, opposite me. And th- I said, how's it going? He said, well, I left the firm. I'm, I'm working in the, for a corporation now. And I said, oh, and I was kind of disappointed because I knew this man. And I said, why? And he said, well, I really wanted to have my weekends and I really wanted to not, you know, I wanted to be home to see the baby. and when you're on the track, the corporate track at one of the major New York law firms, that's not really an option for many years. And I said, well, what about the money? And he said, well, I took a small cut, but it, it was worth it. Okay, Dr. Cohn, let's say that's the way it is, not just in medicine, but in law, etc. You've used the word, when we've discussed this, sad. You say you're saddened by what you see, but why be sad if that's the way it is? That's a fair argument. I just think that... It's that, not even an argument. I, I it's an honest that, question. I think that, that my, what, I've, what I've been able to do and what my friends have been able to do has been profoundly rewarding. And I, uh, and I think the doctor described in the Times article, the primary care doctor in that community, he's had a really good life as a person, as a profession, and as, as a professional, as I see it. And the doctor described... Uh, uh, and he can't, he can't get rid of his it, practice. He can't give it away now. Yeah, because people don't want to, they don't think what he went, what he had was particularly what they want. Uh, the, the article describes him trying to get somebody to work in the office with him. The doctor works for a little while and says, forget it, I don't want to be around here all the time. I don't want to work this many hours. I'll take something a little less personal, less involved to have a different, different lifestyle. I don't think, my prejudice, I don't think that that doctor who's not going to take the opportunities that the doctor had who had that practice will have as fulfilling 
surely a professional life. And the way I was raised, that was a major you know, a, a priority. We, we were academic people who had a mission and we had a, a calling and we followed that calling. And I, I, I wouldn't do it differently now. You say you wouldn't do any differently now. You don't know that, and I don't know that, because you're not being brought up with different role models. You're not seeing the medical profession as something totally different than it was when you were in training. Fair enough. Fair enough. And also my training, the ethics of my training and the, the way my training was done, there was... There were no restrictions on the number of hours that we were allowed to work. There were no limits on the number of patients we were allowed to admit. There was no rule that said we couldn't come back on Saturday morning if we had a case we were worried about. Uh, these, the, the young people today are raised with rules that make that basically illegal. They're not allowed in the hospital after so many, so many hours because of regulations. So it's part of the whole culture of the way we've changed this game. You see, one of the things that disturbs me so much when you talk about this sadness, and I see it when, when that, that you really mean this, is that I always want to think, well, if the government would do something different, if we would provide free medical tuition, uh, et cetera, et cetera, when what you're talking about is um, a society, a culture, a change in attitudes, having to do much more than with uh, who pays for what. I, you and I agree on this, uh, and I don't I think. I think uh, in, I, my concern and one of my prejudices when I get annoyed about this is I will say at a meeting in, the, in those countries that will control the large piece of the world's economy in the future, according to projections, that these attitudes may well not exist. But you're talking about us too. These attitudes that you reflect or that reflect your training, your upbringing, your heroes, your teachers, gone here too. No, but I'm not sure they're gone in those other societies. You're, you're not. I didn't understand yeah. you then. Why do you say that? Well, I think when I read, yeah. it sounds to me that the, the, the medical student, as a metaphor, in China or the medical student in India, okay, has a kind of a different view than the medical student in in in. in, in in New York, a less materialistic one. No, a, a a more professionally driven and surely less restricted in what opportunities they potentially see for themselves down the road. Now it's kind of unfair to say that about China, but if you look at the countries where which are moving up, people are are looking to build and grow as opposed to very committed to lifestyle and personal time and recreation. This country wasn't. I don't think this country. We're getting beyond our original thoughts, but from my view, I talk to a lot of people every day, this country was built by people who wanted to work a lot and wanted to strive and saw a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I'm not sure that, that those drives are there anymore as for, for people. How could a man as young as you be as old fogeyish as I am? That's, you're talking about life attitudes, life philosophy, and um, I wonder... Uh, if you had to make a guess, what percentage of the students at Weill Cornell Medical College uh, will reflect more rather than less the desire to have a living? Not just make a living, but have a life, which means the time 
that is at a premium when you work the way you do. You call me in on a weekend morning to ask me how I feel after a certain incident. That's time out of your life. No, that that no, that's my life. That is your that's life. That's my life. That's don't, the point. Don't ever feel bad for me. Yeah, don't ever feel bad for me. Because you like what you do. Yeah, yeah. I, I. That, that, that's that's my life. But that's that's fine. I would say that they're, you know, they probably. I would guess that probably sixty or seventy percent of the medical students think I'm goofy. Okay, you know, when the dust settles, but that's okay. You know, I I feel bad but for that. But sad. Sad for me. I mean, sad. Sad for me in terms of what I value and what what's brought me tremendous reward uh, as being a physician and a true prof- and what I'd like to think is a professional and not just a provider. What are the What are the changes that you anticipate in medicine itself? I'm very interested in, in, in your projection as to a different kind of physician, a different kind of human being different kind of American, if you will, uh, where work isn't regarded the same way it was. How do you think um, that's going to impact upon the national health? Well, I, I almost think it's a perfect storm uh, because the, the, the national health is, is moving for lots of reasons to providers rather than professionals. And so the, the the physicians will be just part of the picture of paraprofessionals and nurse practitioners who do do terrific work, but who will be in a in a, a nature of service where they won't necessarily be entrepreneurial for sure in what they're doing, and they will be working for third parties who will determine they will be paying for the care or supervising how the care is given, setting very specific algorithms at what ought to be done. And the, and the, the providers will be following very, stri- very specific rules almost as to what you do and what you don't do and when you do and when you don't and not necessarily be vested in what goes on the way I am with you. You're a practitioner. You're saying they won't be practicing. They will be fitting into... Molds established by others, right? And those will be financial. Those will be financial. I mean, I think, and and they and 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 they're and they're not necessarily pleasant uh, for what people. What do you mean? Well, I think you know I have friends who practice in that mold. You know, and they their decision as to what what drug to give somebody yeah. is not based on what they think necessarily they want to do, but what the plan allows or what or where to send a patient for an x-ray, or for whom they should see in consultation about their painful knee, must be someone within their system. Otherwise, there are financial and or office penalties for not moving that way. And, and, and that's reality. That, that's, that's reality. Um, the, 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 you know, I think about this in preparation of talking to you. I had a patient call me the other day who burned his hand. And I said to him, oh, tell me about the burn. And I, I, I sounded like it really wasn't much of anything. I said, let's, let's see what happens. Call me back in a couple of days if you're not the way, happy the way it looks. And he called me back on Monday and he said, you know, I'm not sure this works. I said, why don't you meet me at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning? Uh, I'll come in a couple minutes early. Let me take a look at your burn. A Wall Street guy doesn't have a lot of time spending in the doctor's office. And I met him in the hall downstairs in my office. And I, I said, oh, come here, let me take a look at your hand. And I looked at his hand, 
and it really was nothing. And I said, it's healing really well. I said, there's nothing to be concerned. Get back in the cab and go to work. Keep your regular appointment with me. That's what I'm able to do. The other system. Guy calls on the phone. He gets an email from somebody saying he needs to be seen or he talks to a nurse practitioner. I tell him he needs to come over if he wants it examined, okay, because they're not going to do it over the phone because they can't charge for care over the phone and there are productivity notions of what needs to go on. Doctor needs to see so many people a day. The system wants to create the billing because when, the, uh, okay, and then they say he's not better and the doc says come in or someone tells him to come in and the doctor meets him in the hall. He says, you must come upstairs because if you don't come upstairs and I don't write a regular note and I don't document my examination with all kinds of other things about the exact size of the burn, we can't bill. And I need to bill you because I have productivity standards and when you come for your regular checkup, the fee that I'm allowed to charge you is determined by the third party so I'm going to have to grab what I can now to meet my overhead. When that man comes to see me for the regular checkup, my fee between, my relationship with me and him is between the two of us. So I don't feel the need to grab $30 or $40 from an insurance company for looking at a hand. Okay, I can just act as a real professional and say, this was nothing. Come back for your regular appointment. It's a very different model. My model is very unique. What... Uh What's the percentage of those unique models? I mean, how many of you uh, are there left? I don't know. I mean, I think Manhattan surely is a place where it goes on. Uh, there are docs uh, able to do this in, in major metropolitan areas. Uh, but it, again, but it requires a level of commitment on our part. You know, I, I've got to come in a couple, I, I, you know, I'm happy to come in a couple minutes early and to take the time to see somebody, you know, a little before hours if I have to. I, I don't know what the numbers are. Uh, Unfortunately, I think a lot of what what we did, uh, my mentors did, has been a bit bastardized by so-called concierge doctors who create a different type of model with patients, which is also not, to my view, particularly professional and almost more provider, where people pay a user's fee to an access, I, I say user's fee, to access to a doctor who's going to not necessarily have the same kind of doctor-patient relationship, but limit his practice and give, you know, 24-hour availability, which I have. But when I'm here talking to you, no one has the expectation that I'm going to be able to call them back in five minutes. You know, I'll call people back when I finish. But we have a nice doctor-patient relationship, not a provider-concierge relationship. That word really gets you, doesn't it, yeah. provider? Well, I, I think it's a useful model to understand how things are changing. Uh, and the, the doc, you know, it's, it's, I think it, it, it's emerged for me at least, you know, explaining what I do, what, I, what, what I'm able to do and what these people are going to be able to do. After all of our discussions, I've wondered whether the medical students have any real awareness of what is happening and uh, what they're letting themselves in for. I think they absolutely do. You do? Oh, yes. Uh, and they choose it. Oh, yes. And they, they are very curious uh, and very aware of all this stuff. It's, it's in their face. It's in their face. And, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a third-year medical student at a, at a medical college who who's looks, looks at his loan portfolio and sees he's up to $145,000, he, he's not, these are very bright kids. They're not going to, 
they, 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 they realize the realities of what they have to do in order to have a, have a, you know, pay back these loans. Very depressing. That's, I guess that's why you use the word sad uh, so often. But you're saying yeah, you feel sad for them, sadly for, uh, for them. And you see no change that's going to take place in this country well, I, that will change that. Yeah, I don't think that's anybody's priority. I mean, I don't think physicians remaining professionals for those who are setting health care policy uh, is not mainly a priority. And they, I suspect there will be people who will watch this show and say, oh, yeah, you know, he's an old-timer, but he's wrong. Uh, the kind of care that he gave was very expensive and it was very inefficient and... Uh, they, he did unnecessary tests, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I'm comfortable that, that that was never the case. But let me ask that. Well, you say never the case. Let me ask a question about, we just have two minutes left, about whether it was efficient. Well, I think what I do is not necessarily efficient, but it's very pleasant for patients. Yeah, that I can testify to. And that's why I became a doctor. Uh, my, I became a doctor so that People would come in and they'd have a problem, and even if I didn't fix their problem, they were better off for having been with me than, I, than, than for not. And I always wanted to feel that they were as, better, as good with me as they could have been with anyone. That was my goal, that that interaction was as, was as, as good as it could be. Uh, and I was vested in that, because those were my models. Um, if I'm gonna see them again, I take care of their families. Uh, if I'm just somebody who's they're going to because I'm in their plan or happen to be the doc on call in the office or the hospital that day, it's a different vesting. Do you think people who are in those plans where there are a number of doctors are, um, oh, I don't mean at jeopardy, but are not probably not getting uh, as good medical care? No, I don't think that. I, I, won't, I won't argue that. No, okay. they're probably getting good medical care. It's just not as pleasant. It's just, it's not as pleasant. It's, it's, it's the old, you can get across town, you know, in, in a yellow cab. It's not the same as a limo. You know, you're still getting across town, and you can get across town in a bus. We're going to continue these discussions, Dr. Cohn, uh, obviously, as long as you keep me alive. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for joining me again on that. The Open Mind. And I want to thank you and the audience. I hope you join us again next time. And meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash openmind.